Uh, hello and welcome back to the the podcast. Uh, I'm your host, as always, uh, Ian Lewins, uh, PEM consultant based in Derby. Um, and welcome back after a break. It's been a an odd few months, I think, for everybody involved in in healthcare in paediatrics uh, with the ongoing pandemic. Um, and I'm very pleased to sort of be joined today uh, by Dr. Simon Clark, who's a neonatal consultant based in Sheffield, but is also the VP for policy uh, at the RCPCH to talk about some of the, the issues that have kind of arisen during this time. Uh, so good morning, Simon. How are you today? Uh, I'm fine, thank you, Ian. It's a delight to be here uh, representing the college. And um, your podcast is obviously very popular uh, with many of our members. So it's uh, really nice to have the opportunity to chat to you about these issues. Well, that's very kind. Um, so from from my perspective, working in the emergency department in uh, April and May, our attendances, and I, and I think that's reflective of many departments, are down about 50 to 60 percent uh, on what's normal year on year. Um, and this must be a good thing for us exhausted, tired emergency physicians. It's a good thing, isn't it? Well, I think that um, there's, it's a mixed message, isn't it? Uh, and that's one of the things that uh, we're very concerned about at the Royal College of Paediatrics and Child Health. Uh, the government were very consistent in their message of stay home. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, that was wildly, widely pushed um, uh, across all four nations of the United Kingdom. And I think there were two responses that came out of that uh, from families and indeed many of the the wider population. So there was the behavioural response that people wanted of staying away um, if you don't need to come, um, which is a good thing. And then there was a degree of a fear response where people were frightened to come to hospital because there were places where you might catch COVID. Um, And so I think that uh, then that led to a variety of different things occurring within families. And without a doubt, um, uh, there were some elements where people, and and I think being a parent is a a fabulous journey that many of us go on, and, you know, my children are quite grown up now, um, but they, uh, you know, you're still learning about what you are like as a parent in different circumstances. And I think it's very difficult for many parents with new babies or young children to work out whether what's going on is self-limiting and will all settle down or whether, in fact, it's going to be a prelude to something else. So I think that quite a lot of folks discovered a degree of resilience that they didn't know that they had. And that's a good thing. Um, But I think a lot of people didn't come and present with their children when they should have done. And that's potentially a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. And it was really striking that the real drop off and and this extended both in children's ed and both and my colleagues in adult ed and and their numbers were significantly down as well and everyone's sitting there thinking where are all the sick people where have they gone and i guess for the college this was and for many of us this was the real worry of are we going to see children presenting much later and much sicker hmm Yes, and I think that um, the the system then, uh, you know, on top of the two responses that I was talking about, about people developing a degree of uh, self-coping and then this fear response, I think there was also then a system response that then occurred, which also probably exacerbated some of the 
um, the challenges that families faced about accessing healthcare when they wanted to. So the entire system, you know, changed from you know being at care not quite as and when you wanted it, but you know only for emergencies, all elective care shut down in terms of surgery and outpatients, um, and then the the systems like um, NHS one 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 or NHS 24, if you're in Scotland, um, uh, were then, and I'm hesitant to use the word overwhelmed, but they experienced something like 15 times the call volume or, or more than they were used to, and the wait times went up significantly on there. Yeah. And, then, and then, of course, children weren't having the same symptoms as adults with COVID. So children who were being feverish and having a cough well, there'll be a variety of different reasons for that. Um, and they uh, were then being channeled down, oh, this is probably COVID, you don't need to go in and stay home, uh, stay away. And quite a lot of those children will have had a self-limiting intercurrent viral illness that will have then settled down. But of course, some of them actually were directed to the wrong channel, or at least you know, there's a suggestion that, that that's maybe what have happened. Uh, and therefore, that's led to some you know, potential delay in their presentation. Um, and I guess combine that with the fact that um, out there in primary care, there was a huge amount of pressure as well um, uh, that uh, and our primary care colleagues are extremely effective and efficient. Um, but we all recognise that. Um, and I say we all both the Royal College of uh, General Practice and the Royal College of Paediatrics recognise that training to become a general practitioner, there probably should be more paediatric experience within that time period um, uh, for all general practitioners. So they're then dealing with lots of uh, anxious and agitated adults and then families with young children who are concerned. So there yeah, was worry that there'd be a little bit of misdirected care um, in, in the beginning. And I think that there's now some anecdotal information that's come out that kind of supports that. Right. Um, and it was noticeable, actually, uh, particularly on social media, that the paediatricians were sort of starting to go, OK, well, where are these children? We are now getting a bit worried. Um and lots of departments and the, the college again put out sort of saying, you know, we are here for you if you need us. Do you think there was a bit of a, a danger of a mismatched message with the government saying stay at home and us saying come and see us? Um, so I guess, I don't know, I don't guess actually. I, I think that in, you know, the sorts of events that we've been through, there is always going to be a tension between the clarity of message that you can achieve that is easily digestible within a 30-second government-funded advert on primetime television yeah. and the complex reality of modern existence and what that means for families, um, children, and other things. And so... The college um, was engaged with lots of meetings um, through a variety of different connection media uh, with the government agencies, be that NHS 111, be that NHS England, um, the chief medical officers. There were lots of meetings that were occurring in a variety of different uh, times and uh, 
not places, but all out in the internet, where we were saying, well, actually, this message needs tweaking because people are staying away. Um, and we were very consistent in saying you need to nuance the message and you need to emphasize that the NHS is still open for business and that families should come. And in fact, after a period of time, um, at one of the Downing Street briefings, they actually stood up and say, we're still open for business. So if you're yeah. poorly come, and actually, they extended that across the entire age range to include people who may be you know, uh, at risk of having strokes or heart attacks, as well as down to children. On top of that, the RCPCH actually put out a poster specifically designed to try and help parents work out whether or not they should seek medical care. Um, um, uh, that poster consisted of kind of uh, green, amber and red stuff types of conditions to try and you know, get families to then come and seek uh, health care access. And this is sort of something that, you know, we, college and, and our chem and, and everywhere is kind of trying to push for, for years and years and years to get people to access the right care in the right place at the right time. And this was this, I guess, has been a real challenge uh, over this period. Um, in terms of those concerns, then, has the college been sort of collecting data from units about late presentation? Um, so, so yes, we have. I mean, just before I go on to that, one of the other things that we've done and we think that we're going to be successful in doing is actually we think that um, 111 are now going to start to have paediatricians, um, of more paediatricians or more clinicians, certainly from a paediatric background, available to channel um, paediatric calls to. We're using or we've been trying to advertise for paediatricians who are shielded or recently retired to yeah. be used by 111 to aid that algorithm and, and channeling of the direction of children um, about which we're really quite excited because um, we think that'll help a lot but yes, your your question about uh, are we collecting data and the answer to that is yes the, the the college has been looking quite closely at this and trying to get information and trying to make sure that what we're not doing is reporting anecdote and individual cases um, which um, I think is very difficult to pick out because there's, you know, there has always been delayed presentation. Uh, so how do we make sure that what we're doing is he's not just talking about a case there that would have been a delayed presentation even in the pre-COVID area, as opposed to making sure that what we've got is, is some systematic, systematic evidence. So we're utilising the British Paediatric Surveillance Unit. Now, many of your listeners will probably have heard of uh, the British Paediatric Surveillance Unit, but for those who haven't, um, the the BPSU, as it's known, um, is a, a um, I wouldn't say an ancient organisation, but they predates the formation of the Royal College of Paediatrics and Child Health. And for those of us who are really old um, uh, and remember when we were members of the British Paediatric Association and housed at the Royal College of Physicians, um, uh, there was the British Paediatric Surveillance Unit set up to look at rare um, and emerging diseases. And it's looked at a variety of things over the year, ranging from the incidence of uh, conicterous, uh, Creutzfeldt Jakob disease, congenital rubella, and a variety of other conditions. And, and they've looked at uh, things to try and work out exactly what's going on. So they've got um, uh, several studies running, one looking at COVID in new babies, um, uh, newborns. But we also did a survey, a snapshot two-week survey across the UK of delayed presentations to specifically look at uh, children who've turned up late to uh, 
um, healthcare and try and work out whether those cases really are delayed presentations and what they're delayed related to. Clearly, quite a lot of information has come into the college for that, and it's going to take quite a while to sift through that. And the British Paediatric Surveillance Unit have a very specific um, methodology to make sure that they uh, get rid of all the duplications of cases and to ensure that um, all of the cases uh, are clearly you know, defined um, and the publication of that will be coming out hopefully um, in the next few weeks or maybe months depending on how much data and time it takes to clean and present the data. Yeah and, and that's going to be really interesting isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think one of the, the challenges with that is who's deciding that this is a late presentation um, and is it the physicians deciding it or and then kind of discussing with the parents because I guess if you say to a parent why didn't you come sooner there's going to be an awful lot of worry and guilt associated with that isn't there so I think the way that the BPSU are running the survey is, is if the healthcare uh, uh, individuals were concerned that this was a delayed presentation related to the COVID um, experience, that they could then report that. And then they have a systematic way of going through um, the case in order to ascertain that. And I think um, we trust our paediatricians to have uh, a deafness of language and uh, interpersonal skills to have those slightly tricky conversations with families. And in fact, I think many families would probably volunteer that they didn't want to bother the National Health Service. Um, our um, yeah, children and young people's group have been, you know, we've been really busy talking to them as well during this time, um, which is led by Emma Sparrow at the college. And in fact, uh, I think she'd be a great person for you to chat to at some stage to uh, to talk to about their, their experiences. But but that a lot of them didn't want to bother the health service. You know, they didn't want to be a burden. They didn't want to make things more difficult or tricky. Uh, and so, in fact, I think people have been volunteering that we didn't come sooner because of this um, so I don't think it's been a, a, a challenge to gather the information from the families okay we're, we're also collecting um, uh, research um, which we're currently calling our temperature check I mean it's not the best name in the world I'll acknowledge that but we, we struggle to think of something else to call it about how units are doing so the workforce team um, who normally collect the census data put together a, an online platform for the clinical leads to report their staffing their degree of busyness um, uh, and um, the amount of uh, personal protective equipment that was available. And within there, there's uh, an ability to report you know, how busy the units are and whether they're seeing more or less activity. So that's another way that we've been tracking kind of the activity level across the units of the UK. Okay. Um, do you, I don't know if you know at the moment, but do you are you getting a sense of the groups that have presented late in terms of things like their ages or socioeconomic status or is it diagnoses that are presenting late uh, certainly on the, the the limited interactions i've had on twitter with people sort of saying well what are you seeing because locally we really haven't seen that much that we would deem to present late the one group that people were worried about was saying oh we're seeing lots of people presenting 
um, in DKA who are you know new diabetics who, as you say, haven't wanted to worry people because these symptoms of drinking and and peeing lots have been going on for a while. Yeah, so so I think this is the risk um, of where I might be just talking about anecdote because again, what we're struggling with until we've got the the data properly sifted by the BPSU and worked out what would have presented late regardless and what it has presented late to, to COVID. I think I think you're right. Things like diabetic ketoacidosis have been the things that people have been concerned about. Um, other things include oncological diagnosis like um, new episodes of leukemia um, and that potentially because you know children will have been you know a bit listless or maybe or a bit feverish and unwell um, you know we're hope you know we may see that those uh have presented late i think we've got concerns about mental health and whether mental health may have uh, particularly suffered in this time um and again there may be a dual effect where um because of the nature of the crisis people may have reset their own personal anxiety levels to say we're all in this together and so we're going to cope and in fact my mental health is slightly better because of this. But equally, in this crisis where people have been uh, forced into close proximity with their family, uh, they, which could be potentially a source of their anxiety, um, or they may be just genuinely worried or more anxious because of the crisis that's going on, we, we may see some mental health things that present late or in a delayed manner. Um, uh, and we've also got concerns about children in the looked-after uh, sector as well, because of quite a lot of those uh, elements um, of healthcare workers were redeployed into the acute sector. Um, yeah. and, and additionally, there's things like safeguarding where we're concerned there may be safeguarding issues which may have presented um, but then haven't because they haven't sought attention for injuries and other things um, that they may have done and children aren't being seen and aren't being seen at school. So I think there's a range of areas where there could be delayed presentation. Um, and, and I think we're hopeful that the, that the BPSU survey and the data we're collecting will, will tell us where we need to focus on as we aim to you know, uh, restore, recover and um, reset uh, paediatric services. The other group that I've sort of seen mentioned as a concern are um, children going for immunisations and a big worry about uh, babies missing their immunisations and de- delaying the schedule. Uh, again, is that something that the BPSU has been able to look at or, or is that more of a primary care issue, do you think? So, so I think that's more of a primary care issue that the, the government and the Department of Health were absolutely clear that the primary immunisations for babies should have been open for business and should have been occurring. Um, so um, there should not be a backlog of those. Now, clearly, there will be for a variety of complex reasons because some people didn't offer immunisations because they felt that it was unsafe to. Some parents wouldn't have taken their babies for immunisations because they felt it was unsafe to. But it was absolutely clear that they should have been open for um, routine immunisations um, in infancy. I think the immunisations that may cause a concern are the adolescent ones and the the, the childhood ones that were occurring in school. Um, and as a neonatologist, 
to my utter shame, I'll be failing to mention the specific ones that those are um, because it's been a long time since I had to memorize them. Um, but uh, but I think those are the ones that are causing us a concern that, you know, if, if they haven't had those uh, child, later childhood immunizations, that we may see uh, some of those diseases and there needs to be a catch up of those once uh, schools are fully back. Um, thinking about this, the, the sort of the BPSU data, um, how confident are we that we're going to capture what, what's been happening? Um, I am aware that there are sort of other groups, including Peruki, who are, are sort of trying to capture this as well. Is there any sort of coordination between the college and other potential groups trying to look at this data? So um, the uh, the fascinating thing about times like this um, is, is that you always get a degree of um, more collaboration than you're anticipating, but also there's a frisson of competition that creeps in um, uh, in these things where some some academic departments think, oh, we can now publish this data and, and collect this data. And the college have worked really hard to try and ensure that collaboration is the thing that's occurring uh, across the institutions so that we pool resources and try and get a coherent and consistent story out there. Um, now, I think that there's a real tricky element to that because um, if you produce something that's completely coherent and consistent, then what you end up doing is sound like you're spouting government policy um, and because we all know that in research and, and, and listening and chatting to, to folks, um, you know, the, the whole system doesn't behave in a homogenous manner. Certainly in Sheffield, one of the things that we've noticed is, is, you know, we have a rapid access clinic for babies to come back to with feeding problems and jaundice. And locally, that's been much quieter yeah. than it has been before because, and, you know, I'm speculating here, um, that actually mother and baby pairs are, you know, um, having a much more, I don't know quite what the right word is, but I'm going to go restful time in this COVID era than era than they may have been doing in the pre-COVID era. So, in fact, the um, the natural rhythm of the mother pa a baby bond appears to be, you know, reducing the number of babies we're getting turning up uh, with weight loss and reducing the amount of jaundice. Now, interestingly, I was on a conference call listening to some other professionals in a different city, and they were seeing more problems with feeding and weight yeah. loss than, than we seem to be having here in Sheffield. And, and so I think that it's quite tricky to say, oh, yes, this one coherent truth, and this is it. Yeah, that, that's interesting, because that, that, I would say that reflects our local uh, sort of experience of of the you know we would see lots and lots of these babies and actually we, we haven't uh, what we have seen is a significant increase in things like burns um, and accidents in the home and you know it's, it's sort of looking at the, the data from that and, and how we use that data going forward I guess um, in terms of sort of publication you mentioned maybe a couple of weeks depending on how long it took so I'm skating on slightly thin ice because the BPSU sits under the um, uh, under the research division of the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health, which is chaired by Professor Nick Bishop, um, who um, is a, a good friend of mine and a colleague here in Sheffield, actually. Um, but uh, so um, I can't give you absolute clarity on when that's going to come out. And I'm, I'm sorry about that. Um, uh, but I'd be... Uh, 
uh, I'd be pro- over promising um, <laughs> if I said I know exactly when the date's going to come out because there is a huge amount of information that they're collecting and they're also collecting that, as I say, uh, three sets, three other sets of data about um, COVID-related issues. Um, it, uh, the, and the two main ones are the, the uh, COVID in neonates and also looking at the multi-system inflammatory condition. Um, so when this gets published at some point, it's going to be fascinating reading and really helpful if we get the data and actually we show we had a 60% reduction or 50% or whatever in, in attendances and actually in terms of adverse outcomes or children ending up on PICU, the, the difference was negligible. That's going to show that people use any services inappropriately isn't it so like like a lot of um these things i think behavior changes and evolves over time um i already alluded to that there may be a degree of um parenting skills that people discover that they have that they might not have realized that they'd had um but also it's about how you access and channel people through healthcare that's really quite tricky. And in modern society, when you're presented with a range of choices and people want instant access to things rather than delayed or booking an appointment, then, then I think that's the way they were using the healthcare. The question I think is mu- that's much more important that we need to ask is, is there a way that we can then help individuals and families navigate the healthcare sector in the UK and the, and the NHS so that they can still make the choices about getting access to the healthcare that they want when they want, but it doesn't put quite the same amount of pressure on certain parts of the system as there were beforehand? I think that's really interesting. And I think this is going to be fascinating data for us to to look at. And, of course, we all hope that we are potentially over the worst. But, of course, if we see a second spike, we we may be able to use some of this data to to plan services um, further. Um, Simon, that's been really fascinating to talk to you this morning. Thank you so much uh, for your time. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Um, uh, this was a, a new and novel experience for me. I'm not often in the uh, uh, modern uh, zeitgeist of um, uh, communication technology, but it's great to be uh, taking part in a podcast. Excellent. Thank you so much.